listening to the Crosscheck NHL Show, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Andrew Berkshire and Mary Clark. Welcome to the Crosscheck NHL Show. Mary Clark is not here today. Again, she's on vacation. She went to, I believe, Disneyland in California and then went up to San Diego or San Francisco. I forget which, but she'll tell us when she comes back next week. To fill in for Mary, we have the incredible Laura Saba from Locked On Canadians. I am, of course, Andrew Berkshire from Game Over Montreal on SDPN and the Montreal Gazette. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to talk about this article from The Athletic, uh, Ian Mendez, Katie Strang, and I believe one other person who... I've unfortunately forgotten. I but think it might be it. Dan Robson. Yes, it is Dan Robson. Thank you, Laura, who wrote an incredible his- history, essentially, of Eugene Melnick's time in Ottawa, uh, going through the ups and the downs and the good and the bad. Really interesting article that really covers it in depth. Suggest everyone check it out if you have an athletic subscription. We're going to talk about Cole Caulfield. You know, uh, how good is he? What? How big is his potential in the Montreal Canadiens and also the PWHPA voted down working with the PHF so where does that leave women's hockey going forward but before we get into all the hockey uh, Laura how has your week been so far so far so good I'm excited for a long weekend though I won't lie to you Uh, it's been it's been busy the last few weeks but uh, I'm excited for this show too I'm excited to talk about Cole Caulfield yeah, I mean, who isn't excited to talk about Cole Caulfield? He's Leafs fans. He's excited. That's true. Um, no, they're excited to talk about him in a negative light, as they tried to do all season long, but uh, not working so well anymore. Every time I get a qu- tweet about him not being very good, I'm like, "You're not paying attention anymore." <laughs> I know that the Canadians aren't good this year, but uh, he's not face. bad. Like it, it's some. I feel like rent rent free is the thing that Leafs fans always say, but. The Canadians are 100% rent-free in Leafs fans' heads. But let's not get too far into that right now. we got to talk about the Ottawa Senators. Uh, Eugene Melnick obviously tragically passed away a couple weeks ago now of a long-term illness. Uh, His past with the Ottawa Senators is complicated, to say the least. This this story goes through a few different things, and we're not going to be able to get to all of it. Also, we want you to read the article, but... Some big highlights here. Uh, you know, when Melnick took over the Senators, he was a ray of sunshine. He was financial security for a team that has never been financially secure. He was uh, a guy who had won at life, we'll say. You know, a self-made billionaire, as much as self-made can be. And a guy who seemed to have a vision for what the Ottawa Senators were going to be. You know, uh, standing out, doing things differently. And he took over at a good time when you had Daniel Alfredson, Jason Spezza, Danny Heatley, a, a trio of players to build into the next generation kind of thing. Wade Reddens and Daniel Chara was there, I believe. So there was a lot of optimism, but that didn't last very long. And it seemed like things started to take a downward turn after the Ottawa Senators lost in the Stanley Cup final in 2007. I think this is this is the thing with Eugene Melnick is that he was a complicated man and a lot of people in the comments to that article, and I know you should never read the comments, but I was kind of curious as to see, you know, what people thought. And um, a lot of them said that, you know, there does seem to be a little bit of a shift after he had a stroke and, you know, strokes can sometimes cause personality differences or, um, you know, his medication uh, was, might've affected it and things like that. And from my perspective, it doesn't matter if you are struggling in financial sense, if you have had any kind of, you know, hardship or whatever, like the excuse is, it's not a valid excuse to be uh, in, in some cases in the article, there's instances of homophobia and potentially not outright racism, but sort of the veiled kind of um, a little bit like underhanded kind of kind of racism, you know, which is still we have to say it is still racism. Like there's still things 
you know, yelling at people out of the blue, uh, abusive language towards people, some very gendered uh, insults towards a female employee. Um, and there, there are things like that where it doesn't matter what you're going on through. You can be a brash person. You can be, you know, you can, you can have a loud personality. You can be somebody that might be a little bit difficult to get along with. But there's a fine line between being unpleasant and actively harmful to people. And I think that's the thing that, that, uh, that I'm taking away from this article is that like people were like, why, why did this article need to be need to be told? And I was like, there are a bunch of employees that have been on the receiving end of harmful behavior. It's not just, I didn't like this guy, right? I didn't like this guy is not an article that would take six, seven months to report. Yeah. I didn't like this guy is, 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 it's not a thing. You can say it, you, you know, you can talk about it, but like evidence of instances of abusive behavior towards employees or even like fans. I mean, when you're talking about the homophobic incident, it was about a campaign. And that was something where the senators were trying to in be inclusive towards their fans. It was a campaign that they started to be inclusive towards their LGBTQ plus fans. And he was so angry about it. And he said some things. And that's that's anybody, you know, anybody from that community is harmed by that. It's not just the employee on the receiving end of it or the fans that are being uh, marginalized or not feeling included in Ottawa senators uh, hockey. Yeah. And like, that's, that's the weird thing with Melnick, right? Is like, he has these instances as the story pointed out of, you know, great philanthropy and caring for people, especially his people in Ukraine, right? There's several instances of him, uh, I believe creating or supporting a charity there, which like, don't, don't get me it, started yeah. on rich person philanthropy, but <laughs> it is still, it's, it's something to be noted. And his final act being, you know, sending money to an ex-employee in Ukraine who he also had a complicated history with after he'd earlier accused him of theft uh, to get him out of Ukraine during this Russian invasion. He was very vocal in defending Ukraine uh, before he passed. So there's there's good and bad with Yudi Melnik. Like, like everyone, he's a whole person, right? He's not just the bad he's not just the good but the bad is is pretty bad and as much as the article goes to great lengths to talk about uh things that may have impacted his behavior financial losses uh his divorce drugs that he was on after his uh his liver liver replacement surgery and talking about being pumped full of steroids <clears throat> sorry excuse me affecting his mood for sure but also like the story is about during that Stanley Cup final loss where he goes into the dressing room and goes on this like unhinged rant that uh, many players believe he was inebriated for. And he was like screaming at the Stanley Cup championship ducks to turn down their music and stop celebrating so that his speech would be heard better. And it's like, dude, they won the Stanley Cup. Like you can't center yourself at all possible points. You know, the, the raging against gay people thing or not necessarily gay people but marketing towards gay people it is homophobia like you mentioned it like that kind of veiled racism is still racism i think for whatever reason maybe it's the way that we're conditioned in society most people think that racism has to be like the kkk white hat wearing out in front nazi logo on your arm to be real racism but subtle racism is still racism and right now probably more dangerous than the people who are out there showing it on their sleeves right because you don't know what a person's doing in the voting booth necessarily what they're supporting because of uh in institutionalized ideas that they don't necessarily talk about in clear terms but they will vote on those issues or perpetuate those issues in local politics, in school board meetings, all sorts of things. So that kind of stuff matters and it has to be called out. Absolutely. And, and that's kind of something that, um, you know, people kind of need to remember as well is that publications such as The Athletic and a writer such as Katie Strang, a journalist such as Ian Mendez or Dan Robson, who's generally a feature writer, um, they wouldn't just write an article just for the sake of that, right? Like there, there are a number of employees that spoke out. And those are those are the people that over time have either left the organization disillusioned or have been harmed at their workplace and not left yet. Those people needed somebody to, to bring to light what was happening. And that was something that, um, you know, I feel like 
a lot of people are kind of stuck on the timing issue and not really the substance of the article. And the article highlights many, many instances where, you know, just people were hurt and, and you, you need to talk about these things. You need to bring them to light so that people can take action on them so that those actions no longer happen, no matter what disciplinary action is taken towards the perpetrator, right? In this case, it's moot, obviously, because he passed away a couple of weeks ago. But those things are so, so important. And I think like the incredible thing about, about the article is just how complicated he was, right? The, the, the employee that he had, the former employee that he had, that he accused of stealing from him, but then kept in touch with, which is kind of, if somebody stole from you, would you keep in touch with him? Or is it about something else, right? Yeah. Then he like sent him some money to flee Ukraine with his, with his very young family. Um, and he said, I feel like I lost a father, right? It's, it's a very, very complicated legacy because if somebody accused me of stealing and I left the organization in disgrace and unhappiness, I wouldn't have that, that relationship where I'm sending him pictures of my kids or anything like that. And I feel like the other important thing too, is that this happened when the employee was trying to leave, right? So that, that's also something that kind of informs the decisions of other people who are employees who might want to leave and who might worry about retaliation or things like that. I don't know. It is. It's so, so complicated. Right. And I think that people are complicated, but at the same time, you have to shed a light on things like that so that complicated people, as unpleasant or difficult as they may be, cannot be in a position to do harm to others. Yes, 100 percent. And I think that's like the takeaway from this in terms of timing is the people who are questioning the timing of the athletic publishing this now is the actual time. It's it's tough because he passed away, but because he passed away is honestly the best time to publish this kind of story because it's it's got a beginning and it's got an end. And it's the time where people are questioning what's the future of the Ottawa Senators. So they're laying this out for you to see what happened in the previous regime. And you can see things to be avoided, things to look for in a future ownership group. You know, I understand that nobody wants to speak ill of the dead shortly after they die, but it is relevant in this case. And you speaking, talking about the, uh, the Ukrainian guy whose name I will attempt to pronounce, and I am sorry that I will probably butcher, but it's a uh, Parapetienko. It's interesting. Somebody pointed out online on Twitter that the timing that Melnick got into like taking this guy under his wing. And this guy's like a tech guy is around the exact same time that Travis Yost was hacked off of the internet when he was writing about Melnick's shady financial situation. So that's very interesting. And Yost actually retweeted this and said, oh, it was connected, by the way. I'll help them finish that part of the story. So clearly, Travis Yost knows something that he hasn't put out there in public. So this story is actually not over. And for those of you who weren't on Twitter or reading Travis Yost back when that happened, essentially, uh, he was writing for, I believe, Hockey Buzz at the time. And he, I forget what the actual context was, but he was writing about some shady business dealings, I believe, that Melnick had participated in and why he like may not have as much money as he was pretending to. And that's why the Ottawa senators were operating on a shoestring budget. And out of nowhere... Everything Travis Yost was like wiped off the internet. <laughs> he was just gone one day. And everyone was like, where did this guy go? And it was Ukrainian hackers. That's who it was. So very interesting that Travis is saying it's connected. So Melnik has a very odd legacy. But speaking on like more fun sides of this article, because there's some serious stuff in there that we covered, as much as it's inappropriate, the fact that Melnik would go out there as an owner of a team into the losing team's tunnel as they're back going back to the dressing room when the uh, Ottawa Senators eliminated Boston in the playoffs and make golfing motions toward Patrice Bergeron and like chirping him. I I kind of, I know it's like completely unprofessional. I kind of love it though. It's, <laughs> it's so, so stupid. Funny. It's, it's so, so funny. funny. And it's, and it's, this is the thing, like at the end of the day, it's sports, right? And if it had been like a fan taunting, it would have been on bar down, right? Like like a clip of it would have been on bar down. Um, and, and like everybody would be celebrating the fan taunting the the like a losing players leaving. But because it's, it's it's like an owner who's like a little bit older, who's like an established professional, like who's the CEO, the owner, all of that. 
it just makes it even funnier. It just, it like, and the other thing too is that like, if it's like, let's say an opponent, they could get fined for certain gestures or like, you know, we'll litigate it in the, in the papers for, for weeks. But because it's the owner, it's like, what does the opposing team do? They just kind of roll their <laughs> eyes. And then like the, one of the, the Sens players was quoted like, that's our owner. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was, it's so funny. And it's, it's so immature, but like, here's the thing. I'm pretty sure that if it was specifically certain teams like the Leafs or the Bruins and I was the owner of the Canadians, like last year after it was 3-1, I don't know how gracious I would have been. I really don't. <laughs> I'd like to think that I would have shaken their hands and said, you know, good hard-fought series, great job, Jack Campbell, you know, whatever. Um, but I I don't know. Maybe I would have been smug. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know if I'd had that grace in that moment. I, I don't know. I don't know about myself either, but... I do, I do like this is kind of adds to a different layer to his complicated history, right? Is clearly if you're doing that, you care so much about your team being successful. But then as the purse strings got tighter for him, like he was constantly accused of not wanting to or not caring about fielding a competitive team in Ottawa. But like very clearly, he was a fan first, right? It's just as things got away from him, he couldn't managed to do that anymore and you know he became obviously more tyrannical as things escalated for him personally and professionally but it's a weird situation it's such a weird situation all right we'll wrap up on melnick now coming up next we're going to talk about cole caulfield which we will try to not go on for an hour and a half on cole caulfield because let's face it we could but before we do that, we got to talk to you about Built Bar. Built Bars aren't that big, but they're uh, they might be bigger than Cole Caulfield in size. I mean, this is the time of year where I've pretty much given up on all of my New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right, thanks to Built Bar. It almost feels like it's not actually a resolution because I enjoy eating them. Have you tried the puffs? If you haven't, you're missing out on one of Built Bar's best tasting bars. Puffs are the first ever protein infused marshmallow. They're fluffy. They're marshmallowy. They're not just a protein bar, they're a treat, and they're covered in 100% real chocolate. Puffs are a fan favorite with some incredible flavors. Yummy, cinnamony churro, coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie, so good. These are going to be your new favorite. All built bars are covered in 100% chocolate, yes, puffs included, 100% real chocolate. Low calorie, high protein, replace your candy bars with these, they're better. Go to built.com and scroll down to the macros chart. You'll be blown away. High protein, low calorie, high fiber, low carb. Most built bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar, which usually has around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. Mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond, and new for this month, white chocolate cookies and cream. They're all delicious, and new flavors are coming out all the time. If they think a flavor might be good, they'll make it, and it'll be delicious, and it'll be good for you. At Built Bar, they're all about the taste. They make it taste delicious first, then figure out how to make it healthy. I don't know how, but they pull it off every time. Go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off of your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that gives you the features of $200 sunglasses for a fraction of the price. That means polarized lenses, well-constructed, durable frames, and premium high-end finishes. Also, something you won't find anywhere else is Shady Ray's insane protection program. Shady Ray's includes lost and broken protection on every pair. They will send you a brand new pair if you lose them, no matter what happened. Give them a try, and if you don't love them, you'll pay nothing. It's as simple as that. Plus, 10 meals are donated to fight hunger in America when you shop with Shady Ray's. Exclusively for our listeners... Head to ShadyRays.com and use code LOCKEDON to get 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. That's code LOCKEDON for their best deal of the season, 50% off two or more pairs of Shady Rays sunglasses, backed by over 150,000 five-star verified reviews. All right, Laura, I have to admit, every time I go over the built, bo- the built Bar copy, when they talk about candy bars, I think, what the hell is a candy bar? It's such an American saying. We don't call them that up here. And with Mary not here, I got to say, it's a chocolate bar. It is a chocolate bar. 
I actually, on one of our latest episodes, I called it a chocolate bar as I was doing the read. I was just kind of like, it tastes like a chocolate bar. I mean, I, I mean candy bar, <laughs> but it's true. That's what we call it here. We call it chocolate bar. Yeah, like, it's very rare, really, that a chocolate bar even has candy in it. Mm-hmm. There's there's a few off the top of my head, but, like, it's a I chocolate bar. I wonder if bar. it's because their chocolate isn't as good as our chocolate. Oh, in America? Yeah. Because yeah, we have, like, true. the fatty solids in it, whatever it's called, the milk fats in it, and that's why our chocolate is much better. <laughs> yeah, ours is closer to, like, European chocolate, and their chocolate is garbo, Phenomenal. unfortunately. Yeah. Poor America. They oh, get I thought own... you meant Europeans. I was like, it's phenomenal. Oh, no, American no. chocolate yes. is Garbo. <laughs> Just yes. so you American know. chocolate, Garbo, European chocolate. <laughs> phenomenal. Mm-hmm. All right. So Cole Caulfield. Phenomenal. Actually, <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> phenomenal. That's all we need to say. He's the best. But Cole Caulfield now has gone from a scoring streak to, I mean, a scoring slump of two games. <gasps> but uh, I know. Very shocking that he could go two games without a goal. But he is the most dynamic forward on the Montreal Canadiens since who, Laura? I asked oh my the God, question you know on Twitter. What? I know. You asked this question, and then I didn't want to look at the answers, and then I wanted to do my own research. And I'm like, I don't know. I really don't, because he's got like this beautiful talent that reminds me of the creativity of Alex Kovalev. But Alex Kovalev was more flash. I feel like uh, Cole Caulfield is a lot more weighted substance if that makes sense. So I was trying to think about it and I was like, I don't know if I personally have watched a forward that dynamic and that exciting. Yeah. The consensus that I got back on that tweet was there's two players who were mentioned most often, Alex Kovalev, which makes sense. And the other was Guy Lafleur. And I was like, man, if we're going all the way back to Guy Lafleur, (laughs) that's a long, long time. But the Canadians really haven't had star forwards for a long, long time. So it makes sense that people are going that far back, but I think Kovalev is the one that makes the most sense just because he was incredibly dynamic. Uh, Alex Kovalev, like shift to shift, I feel like already Caulfield is more consistent than Kovalev, but Kovalev was that guy where just don't make him mad, right? You make him mad and all of a sudden he take, takes over the game completely. Yeah. And we don't have that from Cole Caulfield yet, but we have the duo essentially of him and Suzuki that have taken over games in a lost season. I'm excited to see what they can do with a decent roster around them because right now, every game they play, they're facing the top defensive players on the other team because there's no one else on that roster that's going to score, especially at even strength. So yeah, a little bit of a a drop the last couple of games after Caulfield went on a, a big run there for, I think, four straight games with a goal. But this is kind of how he's been under St. Louis, is he gets, he's scoring pretty consistently. He's gone two games a couple of times and three games once without a goal, but that's the most he's gone since St. Louis took over. I have to say, I'm really glad that lots of people mentioned Guy Lafleur because it kind of lends sort of uh, weight to my thing where it's like, I don't remember since I've been a fan because I've been a fan for 20 years now. Uh, literally 20 years. The anniversary of Saku Koivu's return from cancer was a couple of weeks ago. That's that's how long I've been a fan and I can't remember a player. So I'm not the only one here. Uh, I do think that there are some things about, uh, about Cole Caulfield that I really love. I tweeted this the other day. Uh, I said the FU version of Cole Caulfield is even better than the cute puppy version of him. Because when he first joined the team, he was like the cute, you know, he was like everybody's baby. Everybody loved him. He was like the kid in the locker room that every, you know, wide eyed kind of, you know, deferring to Corey Perry and all of that. And then he turned, he turned in a performance of a much more mature player during the playoffs. Right. then he had his struggles this year, but the confidence that the team has been giving him, both off the ice with the marketing aspect, telling him to be more himself instead of suppressing it. And both and on the ice with Martin St. Louis, you see Martin St. Louis work with Cole Caulfield, give him tips, both small, speedy players, both both forwards that are trying to be creative. You see that confidence come out and he's got he's taken it up a notch. And I really love that. And that's why I said he's turned into he's turned from the little cuddly, you know, the kid of the team to like really the FU guy. And so when you were talking about the just don't make him mad thing, you know, they made Nick Suzuki mad this season and he literally scored the same goal that was disallowed previously. I can't remember if it was against Winnipeg or somebody. I can't remember. Edmonton. Edmonton, right. You know, 
those two, the more confidence they get, the angrier they get. And the way that they do it too is without being mean, but they're still ruthless, right? And so I'm looking at like my idea of Cole Caulfield two, three years from now, just, you know, you got in his face, you, you insulted him as you're skating by him on the bench, he's embarrassing you on the ice, you know? And, and I just, I absolutely love that. I want to say against Columbus, he got a lot of criticism for two goals that he was on the ice for. I, the first one was he was being vigorously defended against, like literally being held in place by one of yes, the Columbus was, Blue Jackets. He was interfered with for like five full seconds. It was Exactly. Absurd. And so there was no way he was going to prevent that goal from going in. And then the other one, literally everybody on, on the ice in the Canadian's uniform was in the wrong position. So that was a team failure, not just a Cole Caulfield failure. If nobody's in position, how do you know where you're supposed to be? Hundred percent. And on the on the broadcast for Sportsnet, they had uh, Jamal Mayers on, and he was the one who kind of started the criticism of Caulfield on that first goal. And he was pointing out that uh, Caulfield flew the zone earlier in the shift, which prompted everyone to kind of get out of position. But that was like twenty seconds before the goal. And at a certain point, yes, there's scrambly plays that happen, but it's on everyone to get together and get into the right position again. And the idea that you don't want Cole Caulfield flying the zone because he should be more defensively responsible. No offense to Jamal Mayers, who was a great defensive player. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. And this is the second time on Sportsnet recently where they've been kind of going after Cole Caulfield. Craig Simpson, uh, about a week ago, was talking about how Caulfield had been missing the net a few times on like a power play because he was trying to pick corners. And he's like, he needs to shoot for a rebound to at least get his shot on net. And it's like, if you program Cole Caulfield to not fly the zone and to not pick corners, but instead shoot for rebounds, what is the point of being Cole Caulfield? Right. That like, can be any forward. Exactly. You, you yes, you want your fourth liner to shoot for a rebound. A hundred percent. Sure. But you, and you want your fourth liner and your grinder and your defensive forward to stay in the zone. Don't fly the zone trying to get a breakaway like your Dale Weiss. But for Cole Caulfield, those things, those instincts are what makes him special. Sometimes it's going to bite. Sometimes he's going to miss the net on the top corner attempt and it's going to clear the zone because this shot's got pace on it. Sometimes he's going to fly the zone and it's going to turn into a scrambly situation in the defensive zone and they're going to get scored on. But more often than not, throughout his career, I guarantee he's going to turn those into scoring plays and it's going to benefit the Canadians big time. Absolutely. I that's the thing. It's it's kind of you can't take a creative player and make him not creative because then you neutralize him completely and he's not good at anything. So that's players, the last just, regime. Right? That's exactly it. And you 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 literally can't. You you have to take some risks. And the thing with with Cole Caulfield is not like he's abjectly non-existent or bad defensively. It's just that he's wired to go for the offensive chances in whatever way he can create them. You foster that creativity because if he makes one mistake in like six games, how many goals or or assists does he have in those six games? You know what I mean? Like you take a small sample size. He made one mistake. You're going to talk for two hours about that mistake instead of the seven or eight points he has or the three or four game-winning goals or whatever that he created. It just doesn't make sense. It's kind of like when... People used to cherry pick P.K. Subban plays where he would make one yep. mistake in a game. He would do 52 good plays in that game. And then we would talk for two hours about that one mistake that he made that resulted either in a scoring chance against or a goal. Like well, th there was also like a very distinct thing that in like, I don't know if it's even necessary. Like, I don't know if it's purposeful, but I remember during Subban's career in Montreal any time there was a goal that happened while he was on the ice, immediately after showing the goal, they would switch to a camera shot on Subban. And when you're consistently doing that, I don't know if it's on purpose from different broadcasters that want to highlight him because maybe he's because he's a star player, or whatever. But that or he created just has a, an interesting expression when he's angry about sure. the goal going in, right? Yeah, for sure. But I that creates a narrative. It does. It creates a narrative and it may not be consciously, but subconsciously fans are seeing that and they're saying goal pick, uh, panning to Subban. It's his fault. Goal pack passing, to, putting it on Subban. It's his fault. And that created like a groundswell of people who watch games and don't necessarily read 
the deeper analysis of the games, thinking that he was this big defi- de- defensive liability in Montreal when the actual opposite was true. He was their best defensive player the entire time he was there. You saw people say things like he was their riskiest defenseman when he had the lowest turnover rate on the team by a wide margin in every single zone. Like, it's so weird to see how we, with star players, we can't just let them be stars in hockey. We have to, like, dissect the minutia of their games. Like, well, they need to be better in this specific area when being bad in that specific area might allow them to be great in another. You know, like, we talk about uh, before Ovechkin won a cup, and I had this conversation with my own dad, like, a couple weeks ago about how Ovechkin, when he won the cup, oh, he was a different player. He, he played defensively that year. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Ovechkin, over the last 10 years, is one of the worst defensive players in the entire league. He sacrifices defense in order to be truly special at scoring goals. That's what he does. That's he what doesn't... he's hired to do. That's what exactly. the coach That's is why he makes of him. Almost $10 million a year. That's what he's for. He's not there to check people in the defensive zone. It, we need to stop doing this stuff. Right. And there's like there's examples on the opposite opposite end too. Like when you look at a Patrice Bergeron, for example, in a playoff run, or even Philippe Deneau in a playoff run, right? Yep. Completely sacrificing his offensive game in order to be a purely defensive forward. Because in that moment, that is what the team needs from him. And at every moment, what the team needs from Cole Caulfield is for him to be trying to create a scoring chance or trying to create a goal. Yep, uh, Thomas Plekanich is another great one, right? Yes. Every year in the playoffs, everyone's like, oh, he's not scoring. He's, he's asleep. there to shut down the opposing players or opposing team's best player. Yeah, and it worked. It worked it so did. many times. They, they beat teams better than them. Yep, 100%. You talk to different players in the Bruins how much they hate Thomas Plekanich, right? <laughs> they absolutely hated him because he was so hard to play against. But that, I mean, that's that's where we are with, with that. Um as for Cole Caulfield, I feel like watching him this year, uh, I don't think he's quite on the 50-goal pace anymore after the last couple of games, but that obviously can change very quickly. And it's good that the Canadians are letting his personality shine because that's something that they have been unwilling to do for many, many, many years for the young players. But I, the one thing that I look at with Caulfield is what is the actual potential? Because we know the first 30 games of the season are not representative. These last 29 games under Martin St. Louis certainly feel representative, but how much of that is wanting to buy in? Like, I don't think anybody expects him to shoot 20%, but at the same time, you look at how the league's changing. Save percentage is lower now than it has been since, I believe, 2005. I would not be surprised if Cole Caulfield is like a career 17, 18% shooter. And if he's at this shot rate or even a little bit better as he ages and gets a little bit stronger, that's like a 40 goal scorer. Yeah. A perennial 40 goal scorer, right? Like you're knocking on the door of 40 goals every season. Some seasons, some, some seasons you get 43, 45, but Canadians don't have that right now. They need that. They, they obviously need more of that if they're going to, you know, if they're going to put together championship seasons. But I think, I don't think that it's out of the realm of possibility to say that Cole Caulfield is going to be the best forward on this team for a long time. And if they can get him a few supporting players, maybe not scoring 40 goals, you know, scoring, knocking on the door of 30, that's that's fine too. Yeah, 100%. All right, we'll wrap it there on Cole Caulfield before we go on forever and ever. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the PWHPA, which, if you're not familiar, <clears throat> is the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association. Uh, voting down working with the PHF, the Professional Hockey Federation, which is the only women's professional league that exists at the current moment in North America. And right before we talk about that, I got to tell you about Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all of your betting stats and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of Major League Baseball season. Bet Online is your continued source for all sporting wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet Online, where the game starts. So, this is another athletic story that uh, I believe broke this. It was Haley Salvian, who is fantastic. Uh, the PWHPA and the PHF, it had been 
talked about over the last couple of weeks that they were meeting uh, at the behest of Gary Bettman to try to figure out a way to have one women's league where the women were paid a reasonable salary. It seems like the PHF is getting closer to paying a reasonable salary, but still not quite there. The salary cap's going up, but there's been no uh, established cap floor, so we don't know how much that actually means. But the PWHPA, uh, upon hearing from the PHF, unanimously voted it down. So we are not getting a consolidated women's league next year. That's fair. Oh, lost you for a second. Yeah, I know there's a, there's a fire drill going on, but I don't think that it's, uh, (laughs) if I drop (laughs) off, then you'll know, but no, it's totally fair that there, there's not going to be consolidated league, but as a lot of the players have said, why does there have to be one league and why does it have to be supported by the NHL? We want buy-in from the NHL, but if you're going to give money, just so that you can run things and make things go your way, then that's not really support. You need to give the women's league an opportunity or the women's leagues, however many there are, you need to give them an opportunity to grow their own game, to set their own rules, to create the league in the way that they want to. You can't meddle, right? And so I feel like a lot of times, like giving them that support often comes with a price tag where you need to. So that's part of the buy-in from the NHL. In terms of the PWHPA and the PHF, the PHF has the league. The PWHPA has the players. And I know there's a lot of talk about this and I am going to get yelled at and I don't care. They have the better players. They have the people who are going to the Olympics every couple of years, right? They've got the big names. They've got the Sarah Nurse. They've got the, you know, Marie-Philippe Poulain. They've got the names. You need the names because those are who people will initially come to see the casual fans, not the diehards like you and me who want to really support no matter what. But I also think that there's this view where, you know, there's only one league that can be given because there's not enough support. And it's like, if you put them on TV, people will watch it. It's the same thing that happened in women's soccer. You put them on TV, people started watching it. They sold out Camp Nou, the women's teams. And like FC Barcelona has not done that in years, right? (laughs) You You have to remember that. You have to remember that you have to give them the opportunity to be seen. And people will go and see because it is good product. Like when we went, we went to a game last week. The PWP, PWHPA. I keep so saying, many okay, acronyms. Yes, the association. How about that? That showcase that they did, um, and the game was phenomenal. And it was, it was just, it was literally just watching good hockey on the ice. Why can't we have that everywhere all the time on our TV? I know it, it's crazy. I feel like, especially after the Olympics this year, which were frankly not well watched on on CBC, but the women's game broke records starting at 11 p.m. Eastern time, broke records for viewership. I th- I believe it was more viewed than all but one NHL game this season, the gold medal game. So we got to figure it out here and, and get these women on TV. They deserve it. They deserve an equal opportunity. You know, uh, Chris Pronger had the viral thread this week talking about how uh, about half of the NHLers that he's known that it, after their retired end up going broke or bankrupt uh, and he broke down their salaries and there were some things in there that I was kind of rolling my eyes at like uh, $75,000 a year budget for a car which is okay sure <laughs> but uh, like you, you look at the expenses involved in being a professional athlete and yeah they are extreme they're more than you would think but these women have expenses and a lot the ones who are getting paid in like the PHF, they're making like twenty grand a year out of this. Like it it's just it's a embarrassment that we can't support them more. And for those who aren't as familiar or who haven't read Haley's article, which I encourage everyone to read for more detail about why they couldn't come to an agreement between the PWHPA and the PHF, there's some there's a pass between those players and the PHF when it was the NWHL of contracts not being honored. So there's definitely a lack of trust among those star players, but also they found that they did not have a long-term plan that the PW or PHF could commit to or lay out in front of them. that would secure players salaries and players being, being taken care of for an extended period. And on top of that, one of the main uh, 
say donors or supporters of the PHF is a Russian company who previously was involved in the NHL, but since the war or the invasion of Ukraine, the NHL has cut all ties with, but the PHF has not. And I believe this company is run by an oligarch, and this makes up a significant portion of their operating budget. So that was also a sticking point for the PWHPA is why are we involving ourselves with these? And I, I understand from the PHF standpoint that money is money when you're just starting out and you want to make sure that your players can get paid and can get their sticks and all that. But it's kind of a rough situation. I would absolutely agree with that. Sorry, like because of the the sound, I can't really uh, stay unmuted. But yeah, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want money from shady ties either. Yeah, it's it becomes a question of like, what are you willing to compromise on in order to get to the point that you're trying to get at, right? And clearly, the uh, players involved in the PWHPA are a little bit more willing to sacrifice money in the short term in order to not be involved in this kind of, we'll say shady business deal. Dysfunction. Yes. Well, and that's the other thing, the dysfunction with the, with the PHF, uh, like their bubble tournament that got canceled, I guess in 2020, was it 2020? And Ty Termina, who was the, the commissioner of the PHF for less than a year before stepping down this uh, company, this Russian company, by the way, is called Yandex. I couldn't think of the name off the top of my head. I went to look it up, but yeah, Yandex, which is a basically a conglomerate in Russia. That's uh, Russia's like Google, Uber, Spotify, and Amazon all in one. So this is a giant, giant company, but uh, maybe not one that the, North American sports needs to be involved with. You there, Laura? Yeah, I'm there. It's just there's a lot of noise as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's I'm okay. So sorry about this. Don't worry about it. I, I actually can't hear the noise very much. So I'm assuming that it's not coming across uh, on the show. If it is, I can edit it out a little bit in post. But I feel like we've probably covered this. Um, I guess the main thing is what do we think is coming next for women's hockey do you think it seems like the pwhpa has some sort of plans for the future in creating some sort of league do you think we're going to have two leagues competing and paying women's hockey players competitive wages i would say that is my prediction for for like the future of women's hockey is having multiple leagues i mean if you can have it in 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 men's hockey why can't you have it in women's hockey and i think that you know it might turn into a situation where one team becomes a feeder or one league becomes a feeder league for the other one but at this point let's just get them off the ground and see if you know the more support they get the more visible they are the more successful they both could be. And like, remember the WHA and the, was it the WHA and the uh, NHL? Yes. That like they ended up becoming one. Right. And they, you know, it became like, it eventually became the quote unquote best league in the world. So for me, that's an ideal scenario, but that's like five, 10, 15 years from now, right now you kind of have to have something that is viable enough to stick around and not have to fold every couple of years or change the way they operate or completely redo the way that they, um, that they, that that they work. Right. I don't know if I'm making sense right now. I'm getting really distracted because the noise is gone. (laughs) Sorry, listeners. (laughs) It's all good. It's all good. I I think that makes sense. Uh, That idea of a rebel league also creates a situation where, you know, maybe you can take the best of both of their approaches. Right. And they can, both try different things and in the end you can figure out what works best for the sport and for the people involved in the sport. So it, it's something that could bring with it a lot of positives, but uh, we'll wrap that there coming up next. We're going to talk about our pop culture roulette segment, but first I got to tell you about rock auto because this episode is brought to you by rock auto with the ever increasing numbers of makes and models. It's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts that you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing only the brand 
that their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when you use Rock Auto. <clears throat> Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. So they care about your business. They're not some nameless, faceless corporation. Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer, be it do-it-yourselfers or professional mechanics. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts that your car will ever need, rockauto.com. So I don't know if you're watching it yet, Laura, but I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Moon Knight. No spoilers, please. Okay, so you're not up to date. No, I'm not. But I, it's definitely it's one of the shows that I most want to watch when I'm done with what I'm currently watching. Okay, so... There's a character in this show, and I won't have any spoilers for who she is or what her purpose is in the show, but she seemed very familiar to me. She's been in two of the three episodes, and the whole time I was like, why does she seem so familiar? I don't get it. And then I finally placed it. She has a lot of the same facial expressions and like intonations and mild accent that you have. Really? <laughs> really? Is she Lebanese Armenian? Is that, she's, is that... I, I I looked it up. She's Egyptian Palestinian. Got it. All right. The Middle Easternness shines there <laughs> a yes. little bit. For listeners so, who don't know, I grew up in the Middle East. Um, I'm a first gen immigrant, and I do definitely still have a little bit of an accent. <laughs> it, it's it's very faint. Like you you don't like I would never be able to place the accent if I didn't hear someone else speaking with the same accent. It's it's very 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 mild. And <laughs> I'm even like, more excited to see this now. I was like, why does she sound so familiar? And she has some of the same like gestures when she talks in her face. And I was like, it's Laura. It's just another <laughs> version of Laura. So that's uh, exciting. Yeah, she's super cool in the show, and I have to say, like, uh, uh, without giving any plot details away, the way this show is shot. I am very interested in checking out the director of this show's other works now because his name's uh, Mohammed Diab. He's from Egypt and he's been like very open talking about how he wants this show to be very representative of Egypt where other shows have dramatically failed to represent the Middle East and created like caricatures. And he's specifically called out Wonder Woman 1984, which I know a lot of people that I respect who have Middle Eastern backgrounds were very, very unhappy with the way Wonder Woman 1984 handled that whole part of the plot. But his style of directing and like camera movements and the way that he frames shots is very unique. And I, I like I can't help but he's going to direct five out of the six episodes. He's the showrunner. He's clearly very passionate. I think this guy is going to be very, very big. He's directed three features that I've that I can see on his IMDb. I believe they're all uh, in his native language. I think he's going to be a really big director going forward over the next decade. He just seems to be one of those people that has, like Marvel has brought in a lot of like auteur directors lately to kind of do their franchises or rejig things, and then they go on to big things like at Taika Waititi, Ryan Coogler, they had more success, I would say, commercially in the United States before, but they're now household names. And I think this is going to be the next guy that they've brought in who's going to be a household name. I, you know what? It makes me so excited. I know we've got a couple of minutes and for all the pop culture nerds there, you know, the thing that's so timely about this is we are recording this on Thursday and the day before, um, this guy was all over the news. His name is Zach Dahan, I think. Um, and he was the guy who ended up catching the uh, New York subway shooter. And he was all over the internet, all over the news and all of that. And I just kept thinking because he's a Syrian, like recent immigrant, you could tell, uh, from New Jersey. He was doing his job, which is, I think, of, I believe, doing security cameras or something like that for a bodega. Um, saw the person, corralled a bunch of people to help him and then called the police to, to capture the the, uh, the shooter. 
And all through the interviews, he kept talking and he's such an endearing guy. He's such an endearing character. But as I talked, as I, as I listened, I'm very familiar with this because I literally grew up in the Middle East. I was listening to his accent and I was like, why can't any television show or movie have an Arab character or Middle Eastern character with a good Middle Eastern accent. It's always fake sounding and it always sounds terrible. And I just like in my head, the solution is so simple. It's because they hire people who aren't those Middle Eastern people and ask them to portray those Middle Eastern people. So you go to those, you know, the film industry in, in, in Lebanon is thriving. The film, despite Lebanon itself not, and the film industry in Egypt is huge. Like a lot of the stuff that's produced in, in the Middle East, a lot of the most popular shows are Syrian shows, Lebanese shows, uh, Turkish shows, and, and Egyptian shows. Why don't you get an actor like that to portray an actual Middle Eastern person? So to hear that a person like who's running a show wants to be true to the area because there hasn't been anything good like that, I love that we're now evolving to be more inclusive in cinema and that I get to see people like me on like literally apparently people like me uh, on the screen uh and 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 places that seem familiar to me and i think that you know the reason that i brought this up was literally because it has always driven me crazy that they shoot the middle east somewhere that's not the middle east and then they yep. take other places they shoot in egypt or tunisia and they pretend it's other places it's just it's a whole mess but also every single you know, in a Western uh, show or TV or movie, every single Mid Middle Eastern character has a caricature of an accent. And this just like this just makes me nerd out. Anyway, sorry, we went off on a tangent. I spoke for two minutes about how excited I am about the show that I haven't <laughs> even seen. Um, I guess it's my turn to say what I've been watching. Yes, definitely. So I am currently watching We Crashed on Apple TV. But the one that I wanted to talk to the listeners about was the one that I finished. It's Severance. It's on Apple TV as well. It stars Adam Co uh, Adam Scott, not Adam Cost, Adam Scott. And it's a very bizarre show. So I started watching it last week and it took me a little while to get into it. I was about half an hour into it. And I said, I think I'm going to abandon this. And everybody else said, no, stick with it. It's worth it. So I watched the whole thing from beginning to end and it is very addicting it is a really, really good show. If you like dark comedy, if you like thrillers, if you like things that are a little bit weird, but not too out there, that like the the sci-fi aspect of it is a little more subtle. Um, if you like dystopian things, I definitely, definitely recommend it. It like it's well acted, well written. It's a little bit hard. The first episode is a little bit hard, but if you get to the last moment of the first episode, then you'll get hooked. So I highly okay. recommend it. Yeah. Excellent. <clears throat> Sorry. I'm just continuing to struggle with this cold a little bit. All right. Uh, that's all we have for you this week on the Crosscheck NHL show. Thank you so much for sticking with us. And next up, check out the Locked On Fantasy Hockey Show because who can get enough, right? Who can get enough podcasts in their lives? Host Steel Roden and Flip Livingstone help you become the expert of your fantasy hockey league. It's free wherever you get your podcasts.